You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. This episode is brought to you by Palo Alto Networks, the leader in cybersecurity. As AI-driven attacks increase, organizations can't afford to have network security that's stuck in the past. Discover how Palo Alto Networks can help you predict what's coming and proactively secure against it with a zero-trust, AI-powered network security platform built to secure whatever, whenever, wherever. To learn more, visit paloaltonetworks.com slash network security platform. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the CyberWire's Research Saturday. I'm Dave Bittner, and this is our weekly conversation with researchers and analysts tracking down the threats and vulnerabilities, solving some of the hard problems and protecting ourselves in a rapidly evolving cyberspace. Thanks for joining us. Back in February of 2022, we, we first encountered this actor who we call him Scarlet Eel, mainly because we are uh, kind of a nautical-themed mascot that's a kraken, so it seemed, seemed appropriate. That's Michael Clark, director of threat research at SysDig. The research we're discussing today is titled Scarlet Eel 2.0, Fargate, Kubernetes, and Crypto. One of our customers had a security issue, and it led us down this path of finding this this cloud attacker who went from runtime into the cloud and did some very interesting things that we don't see a lot. We see things like crypto miners and other financial motives quite a bit, but this one was quite a bit different because not only did they, they did try to run a crypto miner, but they also stole code. Uh, from a Lambda. So they downloaded all the Lambda functions and they stole some intellectual property. And they act, we know they stole it because we act, they actually ran it on a different cloud and it had a beacon that, you know, phoned home. Oh, interesting. So it wasn't just about crypto. They obviously like looking at what data they're collecting. That's what kind of put us on the trail of this guy. Well, let's walk through it together here. I mean, let's uh, start from the beginning. How did this first come to your attention? As you mentioned, uh, was it a customer that reached out to you? Yeah, they were. They they end up getting some alerts, and uh, as usual with instant response, it's always kind of like the last thing in the chain that that alerts a customer that that something's wrong. And this was trying to run crypto miners by spinning up instances, and then as we traced that back, we found all this other uh, activity. They even tried some lateral movement. So uh, to, they found credentials to another account, which they tried to get into. So they're not just that de- they were definitely more interested in everything about the organization, not just spinning up crypto miners. Interesting. Well, let's walk through it together here. I mean, in your estimation, how would an organization find themselves uh, the target of, of these actors? In this case, it, in both times, so since we've seen this actor twice, it was through runtime, the runtime side of the house. So whether it was a misconfiguration on uh, some instance and some software or a vulnerability, an unpatched vulnerability, which was the case in one of these. 
where they just got they got in through runtime and then made their way into the cloud. And so they get in, and what sort of things are are they up to? Where do they head from there? Once they get like run runtime access, a shell, they'll they'll try to get the metadata credentials. So if you're on Amazon, that's like the IP address and metadata security credentials. And in one of these cases, the role that was assigned to the EC2 machine was overprivileged. And they were able to assume that role and then basically pivot back in, pivot into the cloud. And in the new instance that we saw, this was kind of similar, but they they actually bypassed a newer version of IMDS, so IMDS v2, which is what Amazon recommends using. They went from a container into that and were able to get the credentials because Amazon recommends a certain setting that still lets containers be vulnerable. And once they got that, they were able to hop into the cloud as a, as a, a normal cloud account. And then it gets a little weird because they were able to escalate their privileges through a poorly written policy. So this was a, the, the client had made an error in, in their own policies and that's what allowed them to escalate privileges? Exactly. They were able to assign themselves a role uh, that bypassed the, uh, the resource filter they usually put on these roles. They didn't realize that roles and policies were all case sensitive. And mm. just that fact let one character kind of get them past it because the people who wrote it thought that was case insensitive. Yeah, that's that's a fascinating insight. I mean, I, I not to uh, oversimplify it, but I think it really emphasizes that these configurations can be complicated. You know, it's hard. Yeah, it's very hard, especially for big organizations who have a lot going on. Yeah. So, so they get in and they escalate their privileges. What do they do next? So the first thing they do is data collection. So they collect as much data as they can. And that, that includes things like credential reports and other data that may get them in other accounts. We saw this one in this most recent event, their scripts actually account for Fargate, which is the Amazon container as a service hmm. uh, system. So if they ended up on a Fargate account, they would be able to do the exact same thing. So they're definitely aware of, of these other services. It's not just about EC2 and S3. Uh, they're, perfect, they're very aware of Fargate. They're very aware of cloud formation. Uh, in fact, we saw as a part of this, they tried to use cloud formation to escalate their privileges uh, as one of the paths. Were there any indications from their activity what part of the world they were coming from? Not exactly. This attacker uses a stand. They, we've seen them use the same IP address in Europe, hmm. but we suspect it is used by multiple different actors at this point, and maybe some sort of VPN or um, other anonymized service. It's hard to it's hard to tell. Imagine a world where you're always one step ahead of cyber threats, where your defenses are impenetrable because you see what others don't. Welcome to Team Cymru's Threat Intelligence Solutions. With real-time access to the world's largest threat intelligence data ocean, they enable you to turn the tables on attackers. Transform your security from reactive to proactive through accelerated threat hunting and incident response, made possible through automation. Empower your team with visibility and insights to start defending your organization like never before. Team Cymru, be the hunter, not the hunted. 
Learn more at team-cumry.com slash cyberwire. That's team-cymru.com slash cyberwire. So are they trying to escalate privileges for multiple users then once they're in? Usually just once, and it's to get access to these other things, to look for sensitive information, or to further their financial goals. They try to make money as many different ways as they can. In this case, they did try to spin up a bunch of bare metal instances Mm. as a part of their attack. I think 40 C5 metal instances, which gets very expensive very quickly. But like I said, they also try to do things like proxy jacking, which is sharing, basically selling your IP address to route traffic for anonymization service. Uh, we, see, we see that as a payload. So they, they definitely try to diversify their income as much as possible. They installed a denial service agent to use DDoS as a service uh, as well. So they, they definitely are uh, not just counting on cryptocurrency anymore. Do you have any sense that they were targeting this client in particular because of who they were, or does it seem as though they're being opportunistic, as, as you say, just to be able to use the resources to to make some money? We believe it's opportunistic still, since this was a, miscon- a misconfiguration that was up for a short time. These kind of attackers are constantly scanning. And sadly, you know, if you put something up, it'll only take a a very short amount of time, a few minutes probably to get to get hit, especially on the runtime side. Does the crypto mining seem to be sort of the the, the final step here? As you mentioned in your research, now that's when things get particularly noisy. Yes, and that's what we believe in the previous attack was as well. And whether that's just coincidence that they do that after you know stealing data, or they just really want to make the money, it's hard to tell. It could be kind of a smokescreen. Or it just could be part of their standard operating procedure to make some sort of money, no matter what account they get into. It's interesting to me that, as we say, the the crypto mining was the thing that really set off the alarm here. But what could the customer have done along the way here to to try to to catch them earlier on in the process? Since it started during runtime, um, that's where most of my expertise is into is you know, catching things when they happen on, on the runtime system. There, there were a number of indicators that could have been used to uh, trigger a response. Uh, one example is they installed several support scripts, uh, so support tools, which uh, we didn't see before either. So they, they installed Paku, which is a AWS penetration testing tool. And I can never say this name right, Pirates or Pirates. <laughs> right. It's a Kubernetes version of a penetration testing tool. So they were definitely aware of these environments and looking to leverage them if they end up on a Kubernetes system. One of the things you highlight here is, is the possibility for uh, using these resources for DDoS as a service. Yes, and yeah, we saw them install a variant of Mirai on the system, on the runtime system, where they got in versus the the ones they spun up for mining. What happens once the detection has has been made in, in terms of incident response and you know, cleaning out the system, making sure that they, they don't have any more persistence? Can you take us through some of the things that happen there? 
Sure. So luckily with cloud, there's there's a lot of interesting tools. Um, You can take a snapshot of like the runtime instance and then kind of treat that as a forensic image to whatever standard you like. Um, And then you you can analyze that for all of the artifacts and, and do a traditional kind of incident response. And then you can move over to CloudTrail and see the other side of the attack as well. Or if you're using a monitoring tool, that might provide both sides as well. So in terms of recommendations here, I mean, based on the information you all have gathered, uh, what, do you, what would you say to folks who are looking to best protect themselves? I would say it's, you know, it's going to be that defense in depth kind of answer that hmm. cloud is very complicated. There's a lot of different layers you have to worry about from runtime to infrastructure as code to all the cloud layers. And you kind of have to start at runtime, at least in my opinion, and you know, make sure you have proper monitoring there. You're never going to be able to stop everything. So you need to have threat detection and response there so you know if something happens. And then on the cloud side, you have to have visibility uh, too. You can't just wait till something happens and then go look at CloudTrail. You need to be monitoring CloudTrail and, or whatever uh, cloud service provider you're on, they're, they're equivalent for threats and abnormalities. How would you rate the sophistication of this threat actor? Where, where do they stand? I, I would say somewhere in the middle of someone who just wrote a script and then and the nation states, because as we saw with the first attack, you know, they cared about the data they stole. It's not mm. like it was just a completely automated attack. They investigated what they stole and put it somewhere to run. And then with this attack, they they were using all all sorts of different methods and new methods since the last time they they came in. So they're definitely evolving. Uh, they're also doing some more stealth things by renaming their binaries. Just They're just evolving very quickly, it looks like, since it's been, what, six months or so since we last saw them. So hopefully that answers the question. It's always hard to judge where, where they uh, stay because, you know, the really bad guys want to look like not-so-smart people as well. Our thanks to Michael Clark from Sysdig for joining us. The research is titled Scarleteal 2.0, Fargate, Kubernetes, and Crypto. We'll have a link in the show notes. The CyberWire Research Saturday podcast is a production of N2K Networks, proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. This episode was produced by Liz Irvin and senior producer Jennifer Iben. Our mixer is Elliot Peltzman. Our executive editor is Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.